my name is Roz, and I serve here on the Revolution production team. So I'm Lucas, I am one of the student ambassadors here. My name is Diego, and I serve in Rev Kids. My name is Darian, and I also serve in Rev Kids. I'm Chandler Bridemore, and I serve on the Rev Students Worship Team. So some of my favorite parts about serving are the moments where, kind of just during worship, everything just kind of works seamlessly together. Like I'll hit the lights, the slide runner will hit the lyrics, and uh, everyone like puts their hands up and like it's just kind of this moment where everybody's working together and everybody's trying their best to make this come together for God. We have fun, we have food, we bring donuts sometimes, and it's just a lot of fun and you connect with a lot more people than you think you would. To me, the best part of serving is just seeing the kids grow and like being the difference in their lives at, a young, at such a young age, being able to impact them and set them up for the future. I'd say the best part of serving is getting to the stories of all the kids that I help serve and being able to help them through their life experiences and be able to lead them down a path that can grow them. I think for a lot of people, a big fear factor is being on stage in front of a lot of people, but really worship is a one-on-one -on -one experience with, between you and God, and that's how you lead people into um, you know, a moment of worship, and so for me, it's been a huge growing experience, and uh, I think it could be for you too. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I love that our students are leading the way as far as serving. And we showed that video on Rev Students. It was so good. We wanted to show it to you guys as well. And when I was a student pastor for a lot of years before I became lead pastor, I always would tell our students that they were the church of today, not tomorrow, because we didn't want to put it off saying that they couldn't be involved with, with what the Lord was doing in their life. And so that's part of what Summer Serve is about. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But we want to acknowledge one other group of people that serve, and not at our church, but is bigger than that in our country, because this weekend for Memorial Day weekend is about acknowledging those that have served by giving their life, the ultimate sacrifice for us to be able to worship and to be together as the church. And so if anybody here, your family member has served and given their life uh, for the sake of our country and for us to continue to worship together freely and have the freedoms that we do in this great country. We want to honor them today and the sacrifices that they have made. So as a church, let's honor those people that have given their lives. Yeah. For, for making the ultimate sacrifice, like I said, and we're going to pray and ask God to bless you and your family for those that have, have given their lives. And then we'll jump in to the message. All right, pray with me. Father, we want to pause, uh, as always, before we get into the message and acknowledge our need and acknowledge how you have worked in our lives. And then, God, today, this weekend, we want to also acknowledge those who have given their lives for the sake of our country and for us to be able to continue to worship you freely the way that we do. That is a right that not everyone has in every country in the world. And so, God, I pray for those families whose family members have given their life for the sacrifice of this country. And God, I pray that you would bless them this weekend, that you would be reminded that, they're, uh, that they would be reminded that their family's sacrifice was not in vain. And we want to acknowledge them and not just have a longer weekend, God, but actually pause and reflect um, for the meaning of their lives and that they are not forgotten and how we want to acknowledge and honor them for giving their lives for the freedoms that we so enjoy and, and honestly take for granted so often. So God, help us to be reminded about that and then live our lives in response. And God, as now as we open up your word, I pray that you would bless our time together, that you would help us to see and to hear what you want us to see and to hear today, God, and to um, allow me as always to preach it in a way that honors you, but is helpful to us and then help all of us, God, to hear it, to see, and then to respond to it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you got a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we started this story last week about a rather famous story where Jesus is having a conversation with a woman at a well, and it's so long, it's pretty much almost the entire chapter of chapter 4. We kind of break it up into bits and pieces, and so kind of pick up where we left off last week, and then next week we'll close out chapter 4 and see the last part of the story but just in case that you weren't here last week so that we, you know, and, and kind of we're all on the same page with the story that we're talking about, 
This is Jesus having a conversation with the woman at a well in Samaria. Now, again, geographically speaking, it was in between Jerusalem or Judea to the south and Galilee to the north where Jesus would travel back and forth quite often. He spent the majority of his time in the north, but then he would go into Jerusalem, and in between that was Samaria. And it was a place that typically a Jewish person would avoid, especially a rabbi or a teacher or someone who was leading people, because it was more seen about, or holiness was more seen about what you didn't do, not what you did do. But the Bible said in John chapter four that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And what we talked about last week was Jesus is willing to get into the places of our lives, and, and I you know, try to be cute, and, and the idea of some, Samaria is also in our life some area. We have some area in our life that we would rather just keep hidden, that we wouldn't want Jesus to go into, we don't want to talk about. And, and the whole idea was that, that Samaria, that thing on the side that we don't want Jesus to deal with or Jesus to get into, is really what we look at to be our source to be our source of fulfillment, our source, source of joy. And my whole point last week was we all have needs and God made us with these needs. And so the needs themselves are not wrong. It's just so we can have the wrong source to try to meet those needs. And so Jesus has this conversation with this woman and helps her understand that the source can't be men. She was on man number six. All right, so she'd already been married five times and was now on number six, and Jesus was helping her understand, what do you think the sixth one's going to do for you that the fifth one couldn't do, that the fourth one couldn't do, that the third one couldn't do? And it makes it so blatantly obvious to where a lot of times in our lives, let me say to you, like, a lot of times we can point out the other places where people are getting their wrong sources, but it's harder for us to see. We're all looking for love in all the wrong places, and I won't honor you with my singing again like I did last week if you were here, all right? But Jesus is saying, man, I've got living water for you. I have something for you, a new source for you that will actually fill you in a way that these other things can't, that these other people can't. And Jesus has, and this, we joked about this last week, he is, he's like the water boy. He has the high quality H2O, all right? Anybody go watch that movie this last week because we talked about it? I know I've had several conversations with friends about it. And again, don't want to demean Jesus at all, ever. But the concept was that Jesus has much better water. He is a much better source than anything else that this world has to offer. So that's the context of the conversation that Jesus is having with this woman. So we're going to pick up right where we left off in verse 21 and 22. In fact, we closed with these verses last week, but I wanted to bring them back again because of part of the conversation we're going to see next. This will go 21, 22 of John chapter four. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, and this is where I told you that word from is a preposition of source. And so what he's talking about is where the source of salvation comes from. It's not in a spouse, it's in Jesus. And so that's the whole point of what I just said. Now he continues on, look at what he says in verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must. Everybody say must. That's good. If you're new, I like for you to call and respond. Even if you're online, you can just shout at the screen. Your neighbors ain't going to care. All right, let's try that again. He, uh, and those who worship him, what? Must worship in spirit and truth. So now Jesus is digging in a little bit more in his conversation with this woman and helping her understand that it's not where you worship so much as who and how. Again, she's having, after Jesus told her, you know, everything that she had done, she tries to kind of steer the conversation about, well, can we worship here or can we worship there? And Jesus is like, the point is not where, the point is who and how you worship the father. And then he says this, he says, true worshipers will worship like this. I don't know if you can remember back to tests that you were taking and some of you just took them if you're in school or in college. 
But multiple choice tests were typically, I felt like, okay, I got more options here, and so I can kind of read between the lines, hopefully. But true-false tests or questions are actually, I have a higher percentage because multiple choice, it's one out of four, right? So I got a 25% chance of getting it right. True-false, I got a 50% chance. And so I learned how to love true-false questions because I'm not a great test taker. I did really well in school. But man, you get into, especially a time test. Anybody with me on those? I can't stand those things. Like like just the pressure of trying to get it in in time. I just didn't do well in those kind of things. But I, I learned how to, to, to try to test, you know, I just pick C if I didn't know the answer all the way through because my mom read somewhere higher percentage instead of just like going around the, you know, just pick C all the way through. You pick a letter and you do it, all right? But then true, false, I, I felt a little more confident in those because it, it's pretty bad, 50, 50, right? But the idea is there's a true and a false. There's a right and a wrong. Pretty basic, right? And so Jesus is telling this woman It's not about where, it's about who and about how. Because there are ways to worship that are wrong and then ways to worship that are right. True or what's the opposite of that? False. You guys are hanging with me. That's awesome, man. I'll set you up easy, all right? just, Just follow me. You'll know where I'm going, all right? So true or false. And so there are true ways to worship and then false ways to worship. And here's the deciding factor on what is true or what is false. Jesus says this, true worshipers will worship in spirit. And if you notice, that was capital S. Again, not where, but who. So spirit is not a reference to like, it'll feel spiritual. Like I got to burn incense and candles kind of idea. You know what I mean? Like, oh, and and our culture today is a lot more spiritual than before, but people say, but I'm not religious. And the idea of spirituals, you know, you know, I sing or I chant or again, burn stuff. And and it's, I, I get into the world or to nature or to the earth or whatever it is. But Jesus isn't saying here, true worship is spiritual. He's saying true worshipers worship in spirit, capital S person. So here's what you need to know. True worshipers worship the Father through the Holy Spirit. Person, not place. This is important because there are other spirits in the world. And if you've ever been around our church, I've talked about that before. There are other spirits, other beings, but only one that is holy. And so first and foremost, Jesus says, if you're going to worship the Father, it has to be done in the Holy Spirit. And here's a key. You're like, well, how do I know if I'm worshiping the Father with, through, by the Holy Spirit? The second thing Jesus tells you is truth. Truth. So let me say it to you like this. You can't worship God the Father through the Holy Spirit without truth. Now, this is where things really get different and difficult in our culture today Because today in our culture, we no longer talk about truth as something that's out there to be discovered. Rather more, it's in here to be created. So we say weird things like this, and I'm not ragging on if you've said this, but as your pastor, I want you to know something. Please don't ever say something like this. My truth or their truth. Because what we've done as a culture is we've taken people's experiences and we've elevated them to the idea of truthfulness. But here's the slippery slope that that is and why I'd say don't ever say that. If truth is created, then what if my truth contradicts your truth? Which one is true? Right? If my truth says I can slap your mama, is that true or not? Well, that's my truth. If my truth says I can ram my truck into the side of your car and I don't have to pay for it because I felt like it, is that true? If my truth says I can speed because those speed limit signs are merely suggestions, is my truth true or false at that point? You see what I'm getting at here? 
There's no way, and anybody who actually thinks about this intellectually will actually have to be intellectually honest enough to say, there's no way we can live in a world where truth is created. We have to live in a world where truth is objective. And here's what I mean by that. Truth is simply revealed by God, and it is true whether you think it's true or not. Let me give you an example. Best one I can think of. Gravity. Gravity's true, correct? Now, it don't matter how you feel about it. You can climb up a 10-story building and be like, I just don't feel that it's true. You can walk off, and about four seconds later, you'll be feeling a lot different about gravity. You with me when I say that? Because facts exist outside of your feelings. But again, we've elevated feelings to the point of facts. Here's a better thing to say. Not my truth, but my experience, my story. That's fine. We all have a story. We all have experiences. We all have a testimony. We all have things we can say. Oh, I, I felt like this. I saw this. I experienced this. That's fine. But when we start talking about truth as it's something that exists by our definition, then I want you to hear me. According to Jesus, we are worshiping wrongly. We are worshiping wrongly. Let me go a step further. Truth is not just a concept. It's not just something that exists out there. I say this often. But according to John 14, 6, we'll get into that sometime maybe in like 2024. I don't know when we'll get to that point. All right. But in John 14, 6, rather famous verse, Jesus says this. I am the way, the blank, and the life. What's the middle part there? Truth. So here's what I've told you many, many times if you've been around here. The way to life is through the truth. So you can't worship Jesus through lies, through falsehoods. Why? Because here's what Jesus just claimed. Truth isn't something, it's someone. He says he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. So truth isn't a concept according to Jesus. It's a person. So now let's bring this back together. Here's what true worship is. Spirit, Holy Spirit, and truth, which is who? Jesus. Watch this. It's pretty simple. And this is my interpretation of this text. There's people that may say something different, but here's what I believe Jesus is getting at. People who worship the Father rightfully, truthfully, worship him in the Holy Spirit and in the Son. So you see the Trinity, right? See the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So if you worship God without Jesus, you're worshiping a God of your own creation. If you worship, let me say it a different way, the way Jesus said it. If you worship God without truth, you're worshiping a God of your own creation. Now, this is a message we need to hear in 21st century because there's a lot of, literally the air that we breathe now and how we think about even education and what our children are being indoctrinated into is like what Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? What's truth? Well, truth is Jesus. You say, well, what makes Jesus special? I say this often too. He's the only person who ever came back to life again and never died. He's utterly unique in that. So therefore, I'm going to go with what he says. Why? Because I don't know if your truth works until after you die and you come back and tell me, I was right. Now, if anybody ever does that and they never die again, we can go with them as truth. So here's Jesus getting at how do you worship truly? Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit going to do? He's always going to lead you into truth. We'll get into this in John 15, 16, 17. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, I'm going to send the spirit and he's going to remind you of everything that I said. 
So I've had people over the years, again, I've been pastoring over two decades. I've had people over the years try to tell me that God told them to do something and that very thing that God told them to do contradicted what God said. So, so just a word of warning here. If you contradict what God said, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was Taco Bell. All right. It was bad theology coming out of bad food. But people are like, what? Yeah. But, 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 but that's how I felt. It don't matter how you feel. I'll walk off this stage. Guess what? I'm not going up. I'm going down. That's gravity. It's true. So Jesus says there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way. There's a true way. There's a false way. Let me say it to you like this. False worship will always lead you into false truths. False worship will always lead you into lies, into falsehoods. True worship will always lead you into truth. That's the connection. So Jesus is having this conversation. Why does he say this to this woman? The reason why I think he says this to this woman, because this woman was believing a bunch of lies thinking that her spouse could be her source, right? She's like, no. And look at how she responds. I love this, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. He will tell us what things? All. Oh, let's try that again. He will tell us what? All. all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm he. I'm the word. Because we use words to say truth, to speak truth, to write truth. Well, Jesus is the truth. How do we know? Because John 1 says he is the word. And what does his word do? His word, notice what she says. I love it. She had good theology just looking to the wrong person. She was looking to a man to tell her all things. She just wasn't looking to the right man who was Jesus. So here's how we worship. Here's what worship, and I'm, it was really cool that we changed up our worship style today to help us understand that worship is not about a certain style. It's not even about music, ultimately. Worship is simply this. All of me coming underneath all of him. That's what worship is. All of me Submitting to all of him. This is why we talk about we worship through singing. We worship through serving. We worship through tithing. We worship through giving. We worship through living our life on mission because that hits all areas of our lives. So she had the right theology in that she understood when the Messiah came, he would tell her all things. See, that's what the word logos, which is the word in John chapter one means. It's the thing behind all things. Let me ask it to you like this. What's the one thing that's behind all the things that you do? Why do you do what you do? What's the why behind the what of all that you do? See, most people never look that deep within themselves. Like, why am I doing this? We have to go. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago. We have to go through crisis and judgment to step back and be like, I don't think I should be doing that. Why am I doing that? It's because you've let something else define all things for you. But worship is letting Jesus being the thing that defines all things. That's what worship is. Uh, we used to sing a song back in the conference center. If you used to attend our church when we were back in the Cherokee County Conference Center before we bought land and built our building here in Canton and then way before we bought land and built our building in Jasper, uh, we weren't even online really at that point. I mean, we were recording messages and kind of putting it out there. I mean, God's done a lot. But back in, I think it's like 2011, 2012, it's almost a decade ago. It's crazy. We've been around for a little while. We used to sing this song called With Everything. And maybe we should sing it in the next few weeks, kind of bring it back, right? And there was this song, and it was one of my favorite songs that we sang at the time because uh, again, I'm not musically talented. I just look like I am. Um, that was a joke, all right? I, I, I'm not, but there's this 
Chorus, I think that it is. You know, I, I know you got verses and bridges and chorus and all that kind of stuff. I played trombone, trombone for a year in middle school band, all right? So I'm well-versed in the idea. But there was this chorus in this song where the title came from that it just kind of reaches this crescendo and it's like, with everything. Again, I can't sing, but I'm gonna sing for you, all right? It's just this with everything. And this is a guitar playing, if you can't tell, all right? And, and it was at that point, and you just, if you've ever said, you just know, it's just like, I mean, it's just like, I don't know what that word is, but you know, the, the idea is like, yes, God, with everything, with all things, I'm, I'm submitting myself to who you are, letting you define all things. You define my marriage. You define my money. You define everything. And it fits because, as you're going to see in just a moment, when you come into contact with Jesus truthfully, there's no other response. Because can you imagine a worship song that went like this? It gets to that crescendo. It's building. And then the worship leader's like, with some things. With most things. With everything but Samaria on the side. Am I going to write that song? If our worship leaders write that song, I'll fire them. Because that's a horrible song. Right? But yet... Isn't that how we live our life so much? We come to church and we sing with everything. But then on Tuesday when God's like that thing, you're like, oh, not that thing. No. I want Samaria on the side. I mean, I, I got a wife, but I got my girlfriend over here. Y'all think I'm playing. People do this mess. Some of y'all are doing this mess. Don't get up right now and leave because everybody going to know it's you. <laughs> Speaking of that, anybody want a marriage where you're standing there? You know, I do a lot of weddings. I give you the most things. More than anyone else. Except this thing and this thing and this thing. God don't do prenups, y'all. But isn't that what we do? Any, any spouse here want that marriage? Oh, wait till you hear my vows. Most of my wealth I give to you. Most of my time I give to you. Most of my affection, except when sports are on, I give to you. <laughs> right? I mean, we're all laughing, but isn't this what we do? No. When I, when I married my wife, it was like, you have say in everything. And when I came to Jesus, he became the thing that defined all things. And Jesus says, I'm he. Now, watch this. This is how she responds, verse 27. Just then his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? I already told you last week, Jesus will cross whatever cultural boundaries he needs to cross to get to that some area in your life. He doesn't care if other people are uncomfortable about it. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, we'll finish. We'll say a few more verses, but there's more to this story that we'll see next week. But, but just see the picture here. So after Jesus tells her, a man ain't going to do it for you. Only the Son of God will do it. That's me. Spirit and truth, Holy Spirit, me. Then it says she left her water jar and ran into town. 
Now, this phrase has always kind of um, made me laugh because it's one of those phrases I can just picture in my head. And again, this is straight conjecture on my part. All right, this is the JSV, the Jason Standard Version. All right, but but I just imagine. I mean, the Bible doesn't give us all the context; it just tells us what happens. But imagine this woman running into this town and telling everybody, "A man just told me all that I did." It seems like a weird thing, right? But here's how I think about it: If she's on man number six, I think they're all aware of what she does, right? I mean, honestly, this is how I think about it. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I can just imagine a woman running into town telling us all stuff that we all know about her. And is that some big shocker? Like if she ran in and it's like, this man told me everything wrong I ever did. Girl, we all know. That wouldn't lead me to go out of town. That wouldn't lead me to follow her to go see this man. But what was it that she said that did lead them to go out to him? I think it's more like this. She comes in and tells them, this man not only told me everything that I ever did, but now I'm not doing them anymore. Why do I think that? Because the phrase here, it says, she left her water jar. Now, obviously on one level, This is just describing what happened physically, okay? So she's there at a well. Obviously, she's going to get water out. She's got to have a bucket. Jesus shows up, talks to her about living water. She wants the water. He was like, go get your spouse. I ain't got it, you know, that whole conversation. And then Jesus says, worship the Father, truth, spirit. And then she sees that it's him. And what is her first response when she sees that it's him? She drops the water, drops the jar, and goes into town. Now, again, obviously, that just is helping us understand, but, but why do you think John put that part in? Why do you think he, he wrote down the fact that she left her water jar there? Again, this is just my interpretation. Take it for what you will. But the phrase left means this, to leave behind or abandoned, abandon a person, a place, or a thing Here's the fourth one, or a belief, or a belief. And I think they were all true. I think she left the place, the place that she was trying to get water from. She left the person, the dude that she was trying to get it from. And she also left a belief of thinking that they could actually fill her soul. Here's why I think this, this word left occurs again many times, but in one of the places that occurs, you might just want to write this down as a reference if you're taking note, is Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. And in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus, which was ironically, watch this, was actually the place that John the apostle who was writing this was ministering. And Jesus says this to the church at Ephesus, you abandoned or you left your first love. Now, is Jesus talking about a place or a person or a thing there? No. He's talking about a belief. And what is he getting at? The church at Ephesus had started strong, had left everything and followed Jesus, but then they abandoned Jesus, the truth, and they went back to the very broken wells that they used to try to fill themselves with. So this idea that she left the water jar is the idea, I think, symbolically, John saying the reason why all those people heard what she had to say and came out is because they're thinking, if this man can get her to leave all that, we got to go see this cat. Because she one of those people. Again, we talked about this last week. What a powerful testimony that she says, come see the man who showed me that everything that I did was wrong and now has more for me. I left it all behind. That's what made it attractive because she is now a testimony to the power of the truth in her life. And they go out and they see it. And this is what I was saying to you earlier. 
When you come into the presence through the power of the Holy Spirit into the presence of the truth of who Jesus is, there's no other option. There's no other choice. You leave that place and you say with everything, God. Now, it doesn't mean that you still won't struggle. It doesn't mean that sometimes at night when you don't think Jesus is watching, you'll try to sneak back into that place. But then the Holy Spirit kicks in and convicts you of truth, and then you walk out of it again. That's what's going on here. And it's amazing to me that the moment she leaves all that behind, she goes and tells everybody. She wasn't even baptized yet. She was a woman, number one, wasn't baptized. She didn't have any seminary training. And what is this girl doing? Telling everybody about how Jesus changed her life. So instantly, the moment she trusts Jesus, the moment that she leaves everything behind, she's living her life on mission. And that's how it should start. That's why we talk a lot about life on mission around here. But life on mission isn't for the privileged few. It's for everyone who's had their life changed. It's for everyone who said, I can go tell people about what Jesus did in my life. Because there's nothing power, power, more powerful than the testimony of a changed life. And the best time to say that is like a day after what you just did, everybody knew was wrong. You see that. Because her life had been radically transformed, she left it, and now she's telling people, and people are thinking, again, this is my opinion, but people are probably thinking, if this cat can get her to leave that, I want to know who he is. Because if he can save her, he might can save me. If his, if his love and grace goes that deep down into that well, maybe it can go into mine too. Now, she runs into town, verse 31. Meanwhile, it's almost like a movie scene, right? You can picture it. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Verse 33. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? God bless the disciples, right? Like we read these stories of the disciples and we're like, man, these guys are so slow. How do just a word here. Aren't you glad someone's not walking around and writing everything you did wrong down? Let's give him a break. All right. So then he explains it to him. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So he explains it to him. Secondly, aren't you glad that Jesus is so gracious with your dumb questions? My goodness. There's been so many times I asked the Lord for something and he was like, I ain't doing that for you because you dumb. <laughs> I heard it the other day and it might have been in a country song. I don't know. But you know the song, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Some of, some of God's greatest punishments are answered ones. Right? When he does give you what you asked for, he's be like, oh, let's see how that goes for you. I'm so glad that Jesus is gracious. But again, let's, so she goes, she's going and telling everybody about how this guy has changed her life. She left everything behind with everything. He's the things defining all things. And then they were like, eat, Rabbi. Because remember, the whole story was set up because the disciples went into town to get something to eat. And that's what led Jesus to have this conversation with this woman. So now they're back. They're like, here, eat. And Jesus says, I got food that you don't know about. And then the disciples are like, who gave you food? Ain't nobody here. You like Napoleon Dynamite? You got tots in your pocket? <laughs> you haven't seen that movie. It's a great movie too. <laughs> Speaking of students, one of the, to me, one of the best sermon series I ever did when I was a student pastor was called How to Be Dynamite. It was just awesome. All based on the movie. We had Pedro coming in. I had hired him to come in and speak, but then something happened. He couldn't come. One of the greatest disappointments in my ministry life. I just wanted to, I have my vote for Pedro's shirt and everything. But if you don't know the movie, there's this scene where Napoleon is with Pedro and they're sitting at the lunch table and he's like, can I have your tots? 
And he reaches over and grabs his tater tots, shoves them in the pocket of his pants, and then zips them up. It's disgusting, right? Well, then later on, he's sitting in class, and the teacher's teaching, and he unzips it, and he puts a tot in his mouth. And then this dude that sits next to him, that he doesn't like, is like, can I have some of your tots? The whole movie's like that, right? Last week was Waterboy. This week is Napoleon Dynamite. If you're new, yes, this is normal, all right? And so... But that's all they can think of. Is this, what do you mean? We, I, and again, if I'm the disciples, I'm like, we just went into town to get you food. Now someone else who gave you food? This is a freebie for this gathering. Isn't sometimes we, we do that with God? God, I did this for you and it didn't. Like somehow our works are supposed to impress him. He's like, I got food you don't know about. And then he's gracious. He explains it to them. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What is he talking about? Remember context. This is right when the woman just left her water. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, my food, the thing that sustains me, the things that keeps me going more than anything else is watching God do his work through me. And this is where I want to help you see something because Jesus is onto something. Obviously, he's God. He's the truth. And if we can get in on what he's getting in on, then we can have more joy like he had too. If you and I can understand that there is a greater food than the ones we can put into our mouth, there is a greater source than the water we can drink. Let me say it to you like this. There is no greater joy, no greater fulfillment than knowing you're accomplishing the work for which God made you. Living out God's will in your life by accomplishing God's work. The word there, accomplish, literally means to succeed. And one of our greatest failures as humans, and I would say, especially in America, is we have the wrong definitions of success. Success is marriage, 2.5 kids, big house, retirement on a golf course, right? Success. How many people have gone to that well only to find it bankrupt and get to the end of their life? No purpose. A lot of times, sadly, no family around and they died of failure. This is why Jesus challenges them. Look up. Look at what he says next. Verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you. Now watch this. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. White just means radiant, bright, ready. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. He's referring to what he just did with the woman. He just got fruit that's going to lead to eternal life for her. And he's saying there is nothing like that. He says, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here, that say, the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor, referring to himself. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Here's what Jesus is saying. He just had this powerful encounter with this woman. And what he's saying to them is, listen, guys, living your life for that work will be greater food than anything this world can offer you. Living your life to see lives transformed. That's real success. That's real purpose. That's real substance and satisfaction and joy. And we know this. Because we know that there is nothing greater in this life than actually helping someone else. Because you get a feeling from that, that nothing else that can provide you. And that's why even our world, who is not Christians, understands the altruistic nature of that. But Jesus is saying, if you live your life for this work, for this will, for this mission, there is joy for you. 
He said the sower and the reaper will rejoice together. See, he's the sower. He's the one who makes it happen, and we just simply reap his work. And so the invitation, watch this, the invitation to the woman was come rest in the work, come taste the water. And the invitation to the disciples was come help me invite others to the water. Come help me invite others into the work. And we'll rejoice together. And this is where I want to constantly come back around especially to those of you in our church who you would say you've trusted Jesus. You've rested in Jesus. You've tasted the living water. You've seen that it was good. But yet if you're doing nothing to invite others into that rest that you have, then you aren't living as a fulfilled life as you could have. Let me give you this point and then I'm going to wrap it up. Very simply, it's this. Rest in Jesus' work, then work so others can enter that rest. Rest in Jesus' work, the work that he did, the work that he labored, which was him living, him dying, him raising again, the work that he's doing right now in and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God working. And so the invitation to Jesus is come rest in the finished work of what he's done. That's step one. That's what he offered to the woman. But notice the moment that she tastes it, what does she think? I got to go tell others about this. I got to go invite others into this. And that's what he's explaining to his disciples. Saying, listen, that's the real food. And so as a church today, we have an opportunity. For those of you that don't know Jesus, you have an opportunity to rest in who he is. But then those of you that do, you have an opportunity to work so that others can enter that rest. That's the rhythm of it. Rest, work from that rest. Rest, work from that rest. I have to do this in my own life. For those of you that have been around here for several years, you know that in the summer I take a preaching break. Last summer I didn't because the world was on fire. But, but this summer, I'm taking my preaching break, and it's coming up in a few weeks. And, and that's so important because if I ever become a preacher that is just giving water but not drinking it, that's giving food and not drinking it, then I'll start developing some areas on the sides that will eventually crash and burn my life. How many times have you seen preachers do that? So I take a preaching break because I need to be reminded that I need to feast in who Jesus is and rest in his finished work for me. And so you're going to hear from our campus pastors, our student ministers. It's going to be incredible. And I'm so excited for you to hear them teach because it's not about hearing from, I say this all the time, from Jason, but from Jesus. But I have to make sure that I am, as one of my professors says, I'm taking this word and not just throwing it out to you, but I'm taking it and throwing it to me. And letting it change me. And then from that place, I work. And then also, when I come back, then it's, let's get to work. Right? Then I work from that place of rest. So real simply, there's some of you here today that the invitation is rest in Jesus. But then there's some of you that you've rested in Jesus. But let's be straight. You're not working with him. That's why we're doing this whole summer serve push, because we want you to have the opportunity to get, on, get in on what God is doing in the world where we learn how to sow and reap together and see the benefit, the fruit of people's lives. That's what baptism is all about. We see the effect of our work collectively together in people trusting in Jesus and growing. And I'm telling you, man, there is no greater joy than that. So when we're inviting you into serving, that's why we try to make it fun, is because we want you to know we're inviting you into more joy, not less. Because your work, your work in Rev Kids, your work in Rev Students, your work in a welcome team, your work on production and worship is leading to other people finding rest in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus.
who worked on our behalf, who became living water because he's alive, he's not dead. Thank you that you came into our world and you passed through every area in our life to fill us with love and joy and peace and patience, all the fruits of the Spirit. And God, I pray right now, if there's anybody here that is not resting in you, that is not satisfied in you, hasn't come to that place like the woman at the well did and said, you know, I've tried everything and none of it works. I want Jesus. God, I pray right now you'd save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never trusted in Jesus, then the opportunity today is to taste and see that he's good. To realize that he's passing through those areas in your life and he's saying, that's not going to do it for you. Only I will because I made you and you were made for me. So if you want to trust Jesus today and be saved, rest in his work, then you can pray with me. You don't have to say it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me, forgive me, Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I'm trusting in you alone. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If that was you and you just prayed to trust Jesus, very simply, we just lift your hand up so we can see that. Thank you. We got men and women walking around gonna give you a gift and when they do, you can put your hand down. Just a moment, whether you're in person or online, you'll have an opportunity to give us your information so we can follow up with you. And then those of you that have trusted Jesus, not only is he inviting you into rest, but he's inviting you from that rest to work. So maybe you just now started coming back to church. It's been a while. Maybe you're new to our church. One of the best ways to grow is to join a team. That's why we want you to serve. That's what this is all about. You can come back by after the gathering, if you're in one of our locations out in the lobby, and we'll love to talk to you and invite you into the family of serving. And it's that serving that will help other people grow. And you'll learn how to live your life for a purpose greater than what you can see by looking down. Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes. See, I have something greater for you. See, there's something greater. Lift up your eyes. God is calling you into a higher purpose, a higher calling to be involved in what he's doing in the world. And I'm telling you, man, there is no joy like it. Father, I pray that you would work in our lives, not only to lead us to Jesus, to be saved, but to be filled with the spirit and then move out and live our life on mission so that others can enter the rest that you've invited us into. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.